Go ahead and have a seat. If you take your Bible with me and turn to 2 Timothy this morning. Thank you for following Jesus into 84 degree sanctuary. Our AC couldn't keep up with the heat yesterday. Um, it is a, this is part of the cost of discipleship, I think, um, when we come into a space and find it pretty sweltering. Um, so thank you. Second Timothy chapter two this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's word, there are Bibles on the back table back there. Go ahead, free, feel free. There's a couple left back there. It looks like go ahead and feel free to pick one up and, uh, and, uh, and, and you'll find this morning's sermons, sermon text on page 1,181. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you an understanding in everything. So over the last, uh, I guess this is the sixth week, over the last six weeks, we've been exploring together what it means to live the gospel. What does it look to live the gospel? And in the last five weeks, uh, we've explored several things from welcoming one another as we've been welcomed in Christ Jesus to uh, serving one another as Jesus came as a humble servant. Um, we've considered uh, what it means to grow in the gospel and how we put ourselves under the teaching and the preaching of God's word and in the assembly, in the church, together with people in order, firmly fixing our feet there in order that we might grow in, in godliness and grow to be more like Jesus Christ. We've talked about several other things like caring. Um, last week we saw the that Timothy encouraged the Galatians to care for one another by bearing one another's burdens. And when people are caught up in, in sin, that, that we would, uh, as God's people, work to restore them. Um, and, uh, and as God's people, then this morning, as we've explored what it looks like to live the gospel for ourselves amongst God's people, uh, this morning, the question then that comes to mind is, how is gospel living passed on? How does it actually move then? If we apply these things and in our own lives and move towards a, a living out of the good news of Jesus Christ, how then is it passed on? If Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, then that changes everything for us. And again, that's largely what we've talked about over the last five weeks. We were poor and pitiable and pathetic before Jesus came into, into our lives. We were unlovely and we were unworthy and apart from Christ and Jesus himself is clear about this apart from Christ we could and we are nothing we could do nothing and we are nothing and the good news that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sin and the good news that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of my sin should then dramatically change the way that we lived. And as we've discussed these good news principles, it's my prayer that you've seen how they flow out of the gospel. 
how there is this constant movement out of the gospel, that the gospel isn't just a one-time message that hits our ears and it goes in and we ingest it and then we move on, but rather the gospel is the, uh, the, the force behind everything that we do as God's people, as the believers, as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so it's my prayer that we've genuinely, as a congregation, taken moments over the course. I know summer just got underway, and so some of these moments uh, may be a little bit farther apart than normal. But my prayer is that we've genuinely taken moments to reflect on our lives and assess if we're actually living in light of the gospel in areas where we are not living in light of the gospel and bringing them under the heading of the truth of what Jesus did for us in dying for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you haven't done that over the course of the last five weeks, if you haven't taken time to reflect on the gospel and how it affects every single area of your life, my encouragement and my prayer is that you would do that this week. It's the Word of God that forms us. It shapes us turns us into a people. It takes us from a people that were not a people and makes us a people. It genuinely is the only thing that can grant us right living. The Word of God forms us. If we try to form ourselves, if we try to do it the way that we think that we should or the way that, the way that, uh, the way that we think might be best, Uh, we will not find that we are formed properly, but that we are malformed or deformed or conformed to the world. Rather, we want to be transformed, like Paul says in Romans 12.2, as I laid that out at the beginning of this sermon series, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when we are being formed by the Word of God, and not being conformed to the culture, but living in light of the Gospel, There's a natural next step. There's a natural next step. We pass along what we've learned. We lend a hand to others who are beginning to learn the same things that we learned. We help others live in light of the good news that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is what we call discipling. Now, that's a word that gets tossed around again a lot, like all the words that we've talked about uh, over the course of the last five, six weeks now. That's a word that gets tossed around a lot, but this morning what I want to do is define it for you and help you you understand how you can engage in the work of discipling. Again, oftentimes discipleship just becomes a, a program of the church. It becomes a place where we enter in and we're then discipled and then we move out and then we go about our business. This is not at all the biblical vision of discipleship. And this morning's text gives us a better way. The New Testament shows us how this works time and time again, from the life of Jesus to the life of Paul. The simple commands given. It's faithful men and women passing along what they've learned to others so that they might grow in their love for Jesus and in obedience to Him. Mark Dever wrote a little book just called Discipling. Very simple, and he simply defines what discipling is. Um, and if you have a big grand vision, when you see that word, what the, what he, how he defines it and how I think the New Testament defines it is this way. It's either just simply helping others to follow Jesus or, you see it on the screen, deliberately show or doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. 
sounds a lot more attainable than I think sometimes we think about when we think about discipling. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she will be more like Christ. It's no, 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 no mystery. It's no secret that we want to rally around this idea as a church. That we want to make this part of our DNA as a church. Our, our mission statement at Buffalo City Church is we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. But it comes straight out of the great commission that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But when we say we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize and realize that our aim is to deliberately do spiritual good to someone so that he or she may be more like Jesus. And oftentimes we find that the Christian life isn't only taught, but it's also caught. And what I mean by that is that we need to know what God's word says And we need to know who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And a disciple is a, the the word literally is learner or student. And so we must put ourselves under faithful teaching of God's word regularly, at least every Sunday, if, if, if if more often than good. But a disciple is also one who imitates. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul tells the Corinthians to imitate him as he imitates Christ. A disciple is someone who imitates, who takes on the characteristics, who takes on the values of the one from whom he or she is following. It's a shared life. It's not just information transfer. It's a shared life, not just information transfer. So we need to, we need to hear doctrinally sound teaching, but we also need to have it applied and lived, and we need to see examples of that happening in our midst. You know your kids, if you have, or if you've had young kids, or if you have young kids, they're always watching you. They're always taking on your values and your, and your characteristics and your habits. And if you say as a parent, do as I say, not as I do, uh, we all know that that doesn't work very well. Similarly, we need other Christians in our lives that we can look to who are living in light of the gospel. We cannot as Christians say, say as I, or do as I say, not as I do. We need other Christians who we can look, look to who are living in light of the gospel, like, like real relationships. Sometimes we just think, okay, I've got an aunt a couple states over that I talk to once a month, and, but that's not... That's not real relationship, everyday observation happening. We need real everyday relationships with people who live where we live and know us, like, like know, know us. And that's what this text is about. It's about a man who faithfully gave himself to a num- another man, a younger man. And what we see here is Paul reminding Timothy about the relationship that they have and that's been developed over years of doing ministry together. This relationship is grounded in good news. It's grounded in God's word. And we'll see that as we unpack it. Timothy was taught by Paul, but he also caught the Christian life from Paul. So here's the principle that I want to lay before you this morning. 
so that we can unpack it a bit more as we wrap up this six-week series. Here it is. Jesus Christ entrusted His work to others who He shared His life with and told them to do the same. The Christian life is not only taught, it is also caught from faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who seek to do spiritual good to others. Christians should continually be investing in others with a goal of becoming more like Jesus. Now, before we move into the text, I want to address an objection that oftentimes comes up when this conversation arises. Um, You may be saying, I'm a Christian and God has grown me, but the investment from others in a one-on-one relationship or even a small group relationship has been minimal. I wouldn't discount what God has done and produced in your life by any means. But I want you to think about it like this. Discipleship is optimized. It's God's way. And it's optimized because God's ways are the best ways. Your experience is not authority. God's word is. And it's an empty argument to say, well, I didn't have this or this didn't happen and everything worked out just fine for me so I'm not going to bother with this with anyone else. We, we need to be careful that we don't elevate our own personal experience above God's word. That, friends, is sin. It's the sin of unbelief. Our experiences differ from others. Experience is a shifting sand to build our lives upon. But God's word is bedrock. God's word is firm foundation for building our lives on. And so, the argument here is that discipleship is optimized because discipleship is the way and is God's way for passing biblical living onto the next generation and onto the next generation and onto the next generation, and so on and so forth. And discipleship introduces us to the Christian life. It teaches us about the Christian life and how the Christian life is lived. And this is God's optimized way to make us more like Jesus by using faithful men and women and their regular ongoing investment in our lives, seeking to do, again, deliberate spiritual good to others so that they may become more like Jesus. So let's look at the text together. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and consider the things that Paul writes here to Timothy. The first thing that I want you to note here in the text in 2 Timothy 2 is the, uh, the love that Paul has for Timothy. This is absolutely the the, the beginning of any discipleship relationship and must be noted out of the gate. Because Paul here, he begins by writing, he said, you then my child, and he uses a term of endearment, my child. Now, he invokes this father-son relationship, but Timothy wasn't Paul's biological son. So why would he use this? We actually know about Timothy's parents in Scripture, and it's not Paul. Spoiler alert. Timothy is called here by Paul his child. And I think that there are several reasons, but I want to give you the one that I think is the main reason. I think immediately what comes to our mind when someone calls us a child is that we would, um, that we would 
think, oh, we've been through a lot together, like a family, right? We're closely knit together because of the experiences that we share. But I think if we reflect on what Paul writes here to Timothy, that's not exactly the case. That's not exactly what Paul is trying to evoke. Paul's love for Timothy isn't based on what has happened previously, but by what he says next when he says to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's love for Timothy is is a is a product of grace. When Paul calls Timothy his child here because he wants Timothy to know that the the truth that he's about to communicate is aimed not just at his head, but also at his heart. This is not just time to download information. Paul wants Timothy to recognize the affection-stirring reality that God has used Paul to equip Timothy for the work that lies ahead. Discipling someone, similarly, as we look at this example, discipling someone means that your roots run deep into the rich soil of love. Paul's, Timothy, or Paul, Paul's love for Timothy found its home in the love of Jesus. And Paul over and over again in the New Testament chose to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That good news that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins is the ultimate expression of love. We love because God first loved us and sent His Son to die for us. But you can't manufacture this. You can't, you can't manufacture the love that's required to, to be part of this process. The truth that Jesus Christ died for your Christian brothers and sisters should bring something up in your chest. You shouldn't just think something about them. You should feel something for them. And Jesus was compelled by love to die. And that should, should inspire love for one another. It did for Paul when he thought about Timothy. Friends, when we have love for one another, we give to them. When we have love for one another, we give to them. Where there's indifference, there's no investment. But where love is stirred, that's where we give out of what God has graciously given to us. And what greater thing do we have than Jesus Christ, His good news, and how we should live in light of all that Jesus has said and done. So that's the first thing I want you to see here. Paul's love for Timothy, and we find that just in the term of endearment when he says, my child. But then Paul tells Timothy, and this is the second thing I want you to see, Paul tells Timothy to be strong. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that's a simple phrase, but it's an interesting phrase because it's actually a command. He tells him to be strengthened. How does one go about 
how do you how do you do that? How do you go about being strengthened by grace? He uses that phrase by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the 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 strength then comes from grace. So how can he just tell him to do it? Be strengthened. Grace isn't something that we can will into existence. I think John Calvin explains this statement well when he says, what God demands from us by his word, he likewise bestows by his spirit. What God demands for us by his word, likewise he bestows or he gives to us by his spirit. Timothy is told to be strong. He's told to be strengthened. Fully knowing that the only way he could be strengthened is to rely fully on what's outside of him. The grace that is in Jesus Christ. So why though, but why does Paul tell Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Why would he start here where he say, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Um, because of the task that's at hand. Because of what comes next after that phrase. When he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach it to others. This all of a sudden becomes uh, Timothy's task. And Paul knew very well that this was not going to be an easy task. And so what did Timothy need? Timothy needed strength. He needed the strength that came by the grace of God. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How many of us in this room go about our lives without any type of regard for what Paul is telling Timothy here? When there's a task at hand, when we are charged by God for a task at hand, do we go in the grace that is provided in Christ Jesus? Or do we go in our own strength? Do we think, inside of me there is something that I can conjure up to get this done? The answer is it probably is the latter more than it is the former. It's probably something that we think that we need to conjure up in ourselves outside rather than what is outside of us. But again, the the command, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy needs to be strong, fully knowing that the only way he could be strong is to fully rely on what's outside of him. And for the task that Paul entrusts him with. When he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. There's going, to be op- uh, there's going to be opposition to that. We'll talk about that in a second. But the task at hand, the ministry that Paul, Timothy is called to, mainly the ministry of trust, entrusting to others what he's heard from Paul. This is why he needs to be strengthened. And this is where I want you to hear the echoes of the Great Commission. Where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. There's echoes of that here. Jesus says that as he's ascending into heaven. He says it to his his disciples, the ones who he walked closely with, those who he entrusted his life to, and said, now go do the same. 
And, and here, uh, Paul says, again, essentially the same thing. He says, entrust to others. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. And Paul tells Timothy to entrust what he's heard to others. Now, I, he's, he doesn't really, he says, everything that you've heard from me. Everything that you've heard from me. At the very top of that list, what Paul chose to know almost exclusively and ex- exclusively, Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. Paul tells Timothy to entrust what he's heard to others. And then Jesus says to teach others to observe all that I've commanded you. And Paul tells Timothy that he should entrust what he's heard from Paul to, quote, faithful men. What does it mean to be faithful? What it means to be faithful is to be steadfast in observing everything that Jesus has told us to do. This is what it means to be a faithful man or woman. Someone who's been bought by the blood of Jesus and then who looks and says, my captain and my king, my God, what is it that you would have of me? What is it that you would have me do? Instead of, how can I do this and then go about what I want to do? Rather, Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, the sovereign Lord over all creation, what, what is it that you would have me do? And the answer is deliberate spiritual good to others in order that they may be more like Jesus. What a joy that task is given to us. What a joy that task is given to you and to me. To see others become more like Jesus Christ. Faithful Christians follow Jesus closely and they teach others to do the same. Timothy needs strength for this task. And here's why he needs strength and why Paul uses that word, be strengthened. He uses that word there because he knew of three ways in which Timothy would be challenged in the task that was given to him. Three ways that he would be challenged when he sought to do deliberate spiritual good to others in order that they would become more like Jesus. Look at verses 3 through 6. Paul says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Three metaphors given here. Three metaphors where Paul is going to tell Timothy, you're going to face a challenge that you need to be strengthened for. The first thing is that, he, that Timothy needs strength to suffer well. Look at verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. When you seek to do deliberate spiritual good to others and entrust the message of the gospel to others, there will be suffering. Paul knew this firsthand. The, the New Testament and Paul's letters are littered with names of people who Paul thought was with him and then they weren't. They were gone. They were somewhere else doing something else. Just look, okay, just go back a a page in your Bible, or maybe just up the page. Look at verse 15. 
You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. This is a province of Asia, Asia Minor. It's a Roman province. Not all of Asia the way that we think of Asia, but it's a province. And there were several churches that were planted there. And Paul says this. This is the last letter now that Paul writes that we have in the New Testament. He says, at this point, Paul is winding down his life. And he's saying, I planted churches there. I saw churches planted. I poured myself out for these people in this place. And he writes, they all turned away from me. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Oftentimes we withhold doing spiritual good to brothers and sisters in Christ or to those who don't know Jesus because we're afraid of the the fallout. Paul did not withhold. He poured himself out in these places and they all turned away from him. Paul invested a ton of energy into these churches. Friends, I know it's, it's hard when you entrust things to people and they turn around and walk away. It's discouraging. Paul knew it better than you and I ever will know it. That's what happened here. Paul knew Timothy would experience this kind of suffering. And like a good soldier, Paul knew Timothy needed to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy needed to be ready to face the discouragement with strength. The second metaphor that Paul uses here is in verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, The rules of the game are laid out for for Timothy. Entrust what he has learned to faithful men. Timothy needs endurance. Timothy needs endurance. And he needs to compete according to the rules. Just like an athlete trains and builds and builds his or her understanding of what it is that they are competing in. They build endurance to compete within the bounds given. So Timothy needs strength to endure the race and reach the end faithful himself. The the third metaphor that he uses, though, is a hardworking farmer. And this is probably the one we're most familiar with. Timothy needs strength to be patient. Timothy needs strength to be patient to see results. Investing in others doesn't always yield or often yield, or even often yield results quickly. A a farmer plants, but harvest is a ways off still. Discipling is a process of planting and waiting, doing deliberate spiritual good and then leaving the results to God. Doing deliberate spiritual good and letting God give the growth. In a a world that demands instant results, our world wants microwave culture, right? Boom. Give me the hungry man dinner. The world demands instant results and investing in people long term is not something that we're good at. We're not even good at staying in one place. The world says to cut out people that don't look or act a certain way that affirms you. The world tells you that someone who doesn't contribute to their happiness should be left. But Hebrews 12 says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. The results were in the future. 
So we do deliberate spiritual goods, good to others, not because people will be transformed by our efforts in the short term, but because God will use our efforts to bring about a harvest in the long term. So in discipling others, Timothy needed strength, and we need strength also to suffer like a good soldier, to understand the rules, and to endure like an athlete, and to be patient like a farmer. Final thing I want you to see here in this text this morning is that Paul desired for the work of ministry to continue. The ministry that was entrusted to Paul by Jesus Christ himself, Paul is now entrusting to Timothy. And if you again go back up the page to verses 13 and 14 in chapter 1, Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul knew his time on earth was drawing to a close. I said it a moment ago, but this is the last letter that Paul writes in the New Testament that we have. Paul knew that if the work of ministry would continue, it would be because of men like Timothy, the ones in whom Paul invested and that invested in others. Now, this is the God-established order of things. This isn't Paul conjuring up a method or a process in and of himself. But the God-established order of things is faithful men and women passing along what they have learned to others so that they might grow in their love for Jesus and in obedience to him. Friends, again, the Christian life is not only taught, it is also caught. And it's, it's bigger than we are. God didn't save you to keep your Christian life private. One of the reasons that you heard and responded to the gospel because God was choosing you for a task similar to Timothy's. The task was to entrust to others the truth that has been entrusted to you. And if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then the truth of the gospel has been, in fact, entrusted to you. Why would an infinite God entrust a perfect, holy, loving, merciful, kind, gracious God and trust this message to us. That is a mystery and a wonder. And friends, it's joy. The Christian life is never lived in isolation. We're called to love by discipling, by helping others become more like Jesus, by doing deliberate spiritual good so they'll become more like Jesus. And Paul's desire to see the work of ministry continue was God-given desire. Because over the last 2,000 years, this is largely how it happens. God's people investing in others regularly with God's word. Paul in Galatians 6.10 says it like this. He says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Friends, this should be the work that we desire to see continue here at Buffalo City Church. Five and a half years in, we need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and entrusting to others what we have learned. This is not a message to pastors or professional Christians or super Christians only. This is a message to every believer. We are all called to faithfully live out the truth of the gospel and pass it along to others. So what? How can we be a church marked by discipling others like Paul 
discipled Timothy. I just want to give you some practical things and then we'll wrap our time this morning. Three brief things because I'm sweating pretty hard up here. In order to engage in discipling relationship with someone else at Buffalo City Church, what would that look like for you? I mean, first and most basically, I just want to give you this, that it requires relationships with others here. If you don't know anyone here, take a step to get to know someone. You don't know, you don't need to know everyone, but you need to know someone. Now, I know the beginning of relationships are awkward. They always are. And let me just like release that tension for you right now. Everything is awkward all of the time. It just is. I don't know how to say it any better than that. I'm not cool. You're not cool. Let's all get past it. It's going to be awkward in moments. It's fine. We all quirky people with idiosyncrasies, and I see no promise here that getting started with others won't be awkward. No one thinks about you as much as, they, as you think they do. There, I said it. Step out in faith and start a relationship. So the first thing is it just takes a relationship. That's it. The, the next thing, though, is that you, you need to realize, everyone in this room who is in Christ needs to realize that you have everything that you need. I think sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't have anything to offer. The answer is, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have God's Word. There is nothing more that you need, and nothing more that you can really offer outside of what God tells us about who He is and His Word. The third thing I would say is that it requires the strength to do what Paul encourages Timothy here. To suffer well. To realize that people are in fact going to disappoint you and that you are going to disappoint them. To endure. And to be patient. Like Paul says, these come through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You need only to ask for the strength that God provides. And the reality of, that, of this is that sinful people will bail out and seem far away. The reality is that you'll feel tired and you'll just want to quit. You will. You will. You will invest deeply into someone and you will just want to quit. And the strength, though, that you need is supernatural. And it's a strength that trusts God with your time, it trusts God with others, and it trusts God with results. And I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. I'm gonna, it, this is costly. And it isn't easy. There will undoubtedly be objections, but learning a new skill is never easy. Or, or our hobbies or getting an education, they're both really costly. But the message to you here, if you call yourself a Christian, is that the truth found in this text is aimed at your heart and at my heart this morning. My prayer is the Holy Spirit would make us really uncomfortable until we start living in light of this truth. And don't allow the objections. Anytime you hear something about the Christian life, don't, don't allow your objections to crowd out the truth. Because every Christian is called to invest. Every Christian is called to invest in others by doing deliberate spiritual good to them so that they may be more like Jesus. So there's so much more to say here, but let me close with this. Let me close with this. 
Friends, the gospel enables this. You don't do it yourself. The gospel enables it. There is nothing that you can do to fabricate or manufacture this. It is only through the truth that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins that this can happen. The gospel gives us the ability to do it and it gives us the joy in it to say that To say that something like this is a requirement, when I say every Christian is called to invest in others, to say that something like this is a requirement of the Christian life is not legalism. It's not because it finds its home in the gospel. To talk about obedience is not to downplay the gospel, but to highlight the beauty and the the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice for you. Because apart from the good news of the gospel, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And the gospel came and flipped a switch in your life. It took you out of death and made you alive in order that you might live in honor and glorifying your heavenly Father. It gives you the ability to observe all that Jesus commands and to teach others to do the same. Friends, don't make the mistake of saying, I've been saved by grace through faith, and so whatever I do now doesn't matter. Because the truth is that you have been saved by grace through faith, and that's what gives what you do meaning. It makes the things that you do really matter. Like, Investing consistently in the lives of others. Doing intentional spiritual good to one another and trusting to them what's been entrusted to you by God through the faithful witness of brothers and sisters throughout the ages. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, would we seek to live it now as those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ God, would you give us now the desire? Would you give us a joy? Would you give us a deep and profound love for brothers and sisters in Christ that's the rich soil in which we would plant ourselves in order to do that deliberate spiritual good to one another? God, it is our greatest aim as your people to be more like Jesus. And therefore, reflect Jesus to the world around us. God, would we do that now this morning? God, would we do that in our time as we go out the doors, as we engage in our week? God, would we be more like Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.